quick disclaimer on this episode here. I recorded it while I was hiking. Um, and I had my headphones in. And I was messing around with the microphone while I was walking. Um, so the first, I think the first like 10-15 minutes is just, it's rough to listen to. Um, and quite honestly, the whole podcast is kind of just thought, you know, just like running thoughts. There's not really um, cohesion from what I can tell. But uh, yeah, it, it's this may be the first podcast where I really just like ramble on and and get a lot of my thoughts out, um, you know, in like a, a free flowing manner. So hopefully you find some of the stuff I say interesting. Um, if not, whatevs. But the next episode, I'm actually going to go through and kind of talk more in depth on a bunch of the topics that I, that I address in this podcast here. So hope you like it and, uh, hope you follow through past all the shitty audio. It gets a lot better. I promise. So for this podcast, I am hiking. Um, so I'm going to try it out with the, uh, listen to the audio and kind of get an idea on if this is a viable thing to do. Um, I've noticed when I'm out hiking, I, just, I don't know, it's just like my mind is able to be free and think and, and actually do what I want to for this podcast in the first place. Um, what's been going through my mind today has been the idea, uh, the idea of uh, creativity. Um, and, and that, that kind of goes along with the whole chaos order theme that I've been thinking about lately. It goes down to almost like on a uh, 
Yeah, no, I guess I'm just apprehensive to, to, to mention anything even vaguely political, uh, given just how things are. But, um, but there, there, there is a, a genuine difference between liberals and, and conservatives. Um, liberals are, are very high in personality trait openness, and conservatives tend to be very high in trait conscientiousness. So when you look at um, at what that means, uh, conservatives tend to be more orderly. Um, they they like structure, and liberals on the other side they they're they're okay with the idea of chaos. That's why that's why it's relevant to the idea of, of order and chaos. Um, so to think about it, to give an example, let's say in our minds, right? We have a we have this room of discussion. Right? It's a room and it's got shelves lined against all the walls. And for every topic of discussion, there's a box for that. Now, in a more conservative thinking person, every box is in a specific place on the shelf, and the contents of the box are only what the topic is about. So when you want to speak about the topic, you, you look at the box that you're looking at, you pull it off the shelf, you take out the contents that you're talking about, you discuss the contents, and then you put the contents of the box back in the box, put that box on a shelf, right exactly where you put it. So that would be a, a, a very an example of a very high conscientious person, mostly uh, aligned with a conservative thought. Now, for a more liberal-minded person, you would take the box out, you dump it on the table, and then you look at it. And then you think about it, say, okay, well, that goes, you know, what, what if you, what if you take the contents of this box, and then you go and you take off another box off the shelf, um, and you dump that box into the contents of the other box, and then you just start, like, trying to put pieces together, right, and, and see what works, come up with these crazy little ideas and, and, and inventions and, and stuff like that. I mean, geniuses tend to be very high in, a, in openness, um, which is why they're able to think and discover these wild abstract thoughts. Um, so, so there, there's that, that dichotomy of order and chaos, um, right down on on a, a, a neurophysiological level. Um, so, why that's important is because we see. I've, I've mentioned it before. I think I have at least that we see the idea of order and chaos from uh, Taoism. You have the, the the two paisleys, the black paisley, the white paisley. And then in the middle of each one has a corresponding or um, a, a yeah corresponding uh, dot to either white or black, right? There's a white dot and the black. And there's a black dot and the white, meaning that even in chaos and order, like it, it, even in chaos, there can still be a semblance of order. And, and in order. There's always the there's always some aspect of it that may, that is in chaos, and that is that's a that's an idea 
that goes back pre-writing. Um, there's there's an old Mesopotamian um, idea of ooh, which way is the trail? Yes, um, there's an old so like the oldest representation that I can that I know of is um, there's an old uh, Mesopotamian kind of creation myth about how um, there were these two entities kind of locked um, uh, in a sense gods that were that were uh, locked together um, and the children of these entities I, I don't know any of these things names um, I know kind of um, so these two entities are locked together and the, the, the children or offspring of these entities um, manage to accidentally, or, uh, uh, and these entities are, are represented as, as almost like a mother and a father. Um, so uh, the offspring of these entities manages, I don't know if it's accidental or out of malice, which, um, which could also be found in religions and creation myths all across the world. But there is, so the offspring actually managed to uh, kill the, the father creature, or being God. Um, and the mother, who is actually named uh, Tiamat, um, uh, she is, she gets upset. She turns, obviously, um, she turns the father deity um, into the world that we know. So she established order. She brought order out of, out of chaos because they were split. So, um, and she represented everything else that wasn't this establishment of order. So she was the embodiment of chaos and the world we live in was the structures of order. Um, so these ideas go back well beyond the idea even before we un understood not that we do understand but since we've had the concept of things like uh, of, of psycholo psychology um, but, but back to the idea of, of, of creative um, you know sometimes you find someone that is is a true creative, not a creative person, not someone who can create, but almost like a, a physical embodiment of creativity. Um, and so that's been, so, what that led me to kind of, you know, in my train of thought, um, what that led me to begin to think is, or understand rather, is that I am, I am very attracted to create creatives, someone who can embody creativity. Um, and 
and now that I kind of understand myself a little more, um, I, it makes sense, I think. So, my, my best friend, sorry, there's a thing in my hair, there we go. Um, so my best friend is maybe the most, he is like the embodiment of the, the white paisley in, in my life. In the, in the Dallas representation of, 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 of us, I guess it would be, um, representation of consciousness or life or, um, I don't really know much about the meanings behind it, but I know that, I know that, that about it. Um, so my, my best friend, he is like the embodiment of that white paisley. Um, he is, he... He is such an orderly person. He can strategize. He can compartmentalize all kinds of information. He he understands how things function. Like like function very. He, he gets it without really even trying. But just like with everything, even even for someone as I would say probably extremely conscientious. Um, uh, even then he still has some aspects of his life that are just complete chaos and, and, we, and we all do really um, I just see it because I know him uh, I know him better than a lot of people I would say um, I understand that, that on, a, on a bit of a deeper level I feel um, so I think the reason why I tend to be very attracted to um, to creative people, uh, people who are creatives, is because I, I want I want to have influences in my life from someone who is almost um, like it, like an orderly archetype, like the, the, the epitome of, of order and structure, because I never really had that uh, growing up, um, and quite frankly, a lot of people don't these days, uh, and at the same time, um, at the same time, I need, I, I, I need the other side of it, I need the almost completely In, in a sense, I, I want the chaos aspect to influence as well, um, because the idea is that you want to have one foot in order and one foot as chaos. Because you, if you're if you're in order all the time, then then it, it's boring, right? Everything everything functions, nothing exciting happens, and you you don't struggle with anything. You don't experience anything new because you're in order and tradition. Um, and if you're in chaos all the time, I mean, oof, good luck. You know, if, if your life is, is completely in chaos and you have just little glimpse of order, which tend to just be what your, your routine, yeah, you wake up every day. That could, for some people, that's as much order as they have in life. Is that they wake up every day and at some point they go to bed. Um, so. So with that in mind, um, 
to have kind of to understand that dichotomy and try to and that's why there's the white pace and the black uh, or the white dot and the black dot and the pace that is is because you you want that you want the order within the chaos but you don't want so much order that you're that nothing nothing happens right nothing progresses um, so that's uh that's a huge thing so that's been on my mind um i thought that was a really interesting idea just that concept of order and chaos has been like really beaten down on me lately and it's like I'm slowly unraveling the mysteries of who I am as a person uh, by understanding this um, you know and, and, and I think there, there's obviously a, a push um, and, and there always will be uh, a push between both both the order and the chaos example that I that I kind of came up with not came up with but like what what manifested in my mind because um, yeah the, the idea that manifested in my mind was uh, so, something along the lines of uh, when when you find someone attractive Let's say, let's say you find someone attractive and they ask you, why? Um, so you, you have, it's now your duty to justify your attraction to this other individual. Um, so, think about it. Um, for me, I, I just kind of went through it. The idea of, of, of creativity is very important to me. trait openness um, right but it took me a long time to understand that and I, I would be willing to say that most people don't understand that and I'm not trying to sound like I'm, I'm special or I, I know some some hidden truth um, but, but I, I think it's I think it's important to 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 kind of conceptualize it that way I think there's reasons why we had things such as tradition, and I, I'm very apprehensive these days, um, and I, I've moved much more towards this direction here, and I'm, I'm very apprehensive to, where's this trail going? Um, I'm very apprehensive to To disrupt tradition more so now that I've kind of understood these these few little concepts because tradition was there for a reason and sure times have changed and, and stuff like that but at the end of the day um, you know what's you gotta you gotta think about what's meaningful uh, what's meaningful in life what's meaningful for your existence and then I get into like some real deep uh, metaphysical "why are we here?" <laughs> kind of things. Um, but but I would say that 
go, going back to the example, but take um take when I was in you know I, I've always been like a in high school growing up, high school, middle school, I've always wanted like that 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 perfect story. <laughs> that perfect story of um of, of a relationship that I, I get into young and then we get married and have kids and do that whole that whole fairy tale thing. And really, I've always been attracted to creative people. I just, I, I didn't understand, you know, what that really was. No one ever taught me. Um, and I would, I, I would go as far as to say no one ever teaches anyone these days um, what that means. Because we find attraction at that age or, or, or before we get this, these little concepts. Uh, we find attraction as really just just forms of lust and I'm not I'm not a religious person but that that that's what it is um, you know you especially when you're when you're 16 to, to 20 you know 16 19 like that, those are just forms of lust you don't you, you think you love someone but it's, it's just you're so enamored with this idea of you're just full of hormones and all, all, all these things, and sure, sure, it works out for some people, and, and I hope it works out for more people, uh, obviously looking at things like divorce rates and single motherhood and stuff like that, I mean, there's a real problem out there, so, but, but young people aren't being taught the difference between, uh, well, they aren't being taught who they are as a person, so if you don't know who you are as a person, how the hell are you going to know what you want in life, let alone what you want in a partner? Um, we aren't taught these things. So if you take a, a middle school, high schooler, it's it's just, it's, it's like micro-lust, right? Because you can really, really be into someone, but the moment someone else comes along and they just pull the right little, little strings, you're torn, you're fragmented, you don't know what to do with anything, because you don't have that foundation of what you actually want. so that the lessons that were that were understood in, in, by your ancestors um, can be manifested and into, into real things that you can look upon for guidance and understanding on who you are and where you're going. You know, if you don't know where you are, how can you, how can you go towards destination?
happy I'm able to get this stuff out now. I mean, it's it's been it's been super bugging me lately. Like, I've, I haven't had an outlet. I can't have these conversations with people. I, I sound like a... I sound like a crazy person. No one... No one wants... No one wants to, to discuss... What it... You know, the meaning of life. And and I, I, I've, I've tossed that out there a couple times. And it's like... It's kind of like a... Kind of like a pseudo-joke. Like, yeah, the, there could be such an intense discussion there and if you can find the right person you can you can have so much fun with with one of those little uh you know freshman psychology student essay questions what's the meaning of life or, or you know what what is good i guess i guess that's philosophy but I'm, I, I would i would i'd be willing to say that they're they're very closely re- related Especially when you look in the context of, of, you know, of those kind of questions. Meaning of life, what is good, what is evil. Um, there's another concept there. The, the, the dichotomy of everything. You cannot have good without a bad. You cannot have order without chaos. You know? It's easy to... It's easy to to think about what bad is. I mean, we just look at the, the, the 20th century was, was full of full of bad. You know, mass genocide all across the world. I mean, e- even in oh, here's a good one. So you had the the mass genocide all across the world. You're looking at uh, you know Nazi Germany, Stalin's. Uh, Stalin's communist regime, Castro, Pol Pot. There's the guy. Uh, people don't know about Pol Pot. That was a, that was a genocide that was down in um, Cambodia. Um, that man killed so many people that the the average age of Cambodians now is very young. Um, I mean, I think it's. Seven or something like that. Like they have a lot of young people over there because not not many of them made it. Um, uh, we you, you I was talking to a friend of mine. She said she lived in she lived in Cambodia for a while. Uh, she said she told me that um, that the the people that are that are there now um, they. The people that are there now. Um, one of the things I found interesting. Sorry, I'm just trying to think in real time, which is which is difficult. Um, but the people that are there now have have just issues we we, we wouldn't really think about. Like for example, um, they don't really know any of their cultural dishes. Can you imagine that? Could you imagine one not having a grandmother? Who could teach you, even when you were a child, even when you were a child, of what she used to eat? You know, family recipes—they don't, they don't exist. Of course, some people have family recipes, um, but they're having to, to in a sense, discover what their people ate before they were forced into things like bread lines and, and 
and stuff like that. Um, crazy stuff. Uh, Maoist China. And that they, they even called it a cultural revolution. Because um, they burned books, kneeled people down, shot them simply because they had a different idea. never truly understand uh, how bad the 20th century is unless you really, really take the, the time, effort, and in the, in the stomach, I would say, to look into it. Um, like, it, like you, you think the Holocaust was bad, but man, can think the worst possible. It, it's, it gets worse than bad. Whatever you can imagine, it's worse than that. And, and I'm just talking about the things that, that we know of. There's, there's an untold amount of, of stories and situations truly bad it could get, especially towards the end, you know, the final solution, they called it, they ramped up the killing of Jews, Muslims, Gypsies, Jehovah Witnesses, Jehovah Witnesses were persecuted, um, yeah, there's a, man, you, <laughs> there's, there's a, a book that I read, which was, I didn't read it, it was an audio book, difficult one as well like it was it was hard to really kind of get because it's it's dense and it's hard to read uh there's there's a lot of shit in it um but uh but the the, the book is called ordinary men and i i don't know who, who wrote it i'd have to look at the phone but i'm hiking and stuff right now but uh yeah it's called ordinary men and it's about a uh, a police to police battalion who I mean you, you're, ta you're talking about in a sense reservists you know reservist military police during the, the beginning stages of the war um, and how they took these these uh, officers and uh, uh, Nazis sorry uh, these Nazis these Nazi officers like these aren't just normal normal police guys they're, they're Nazi police <laughs> It's, um, but it, it, it's, it's a book about how they, how they trained these normal people to be killers, um, how they manipulated the human mind and stretched the idea of morality to the common person, um, into doing things like Kidnapping, kidnapping, just stealing. It was sneaky. They broke into people's houses, grabbed pregnant women, kids, took them out, shot them in the back of the head. I mean, there, there's videos of, of the Nazis uh, taking babies 
tossing them up in the air and shooting them for target practice. I mean, sick, sick shit. To think that that you could just take someone and <laughs> and take someone who thinks they're a good person uh, and turn them into someone who can do that—a a, a manifestation of true evil. Wow. soldiers oh if you don't do this we'll we'll kill your family back home or it wasn't threat it wasn't threats at all um it it's it's a peculiar peculiar progression into that idea um when you're able to do that it's just it's fucking gross but uh so what they would do is they'd they'd get the orders down say something like um your, your police battalion has to kill and round up 500 Jews this month in the city. Oh, well, 500 Jews. Well, there's, you know, orders came down. Um, a lot of these people, not even a lot of them, uh, a lot of the younger ones, the younger officers, um, under, under 25, of the younger uh, officers, a lot of them were were already indoctrinated through Hitler Youth and propaganda. Propaganda doesn't really work too well um, if it started uh, if, if the if the if the consumption isn't started um, before before your mid twenties, you've already really developed your personality by then. Uh, so it's hard to. So it's hard to, to really grasp, you know, grasp onto the, to any radical ideas. Um, so they tell these people that, uh, they tell these people that, um, so we're gonna, here's our, here's our orders and we have to go do it. Um, Anyone who doesn't want to, you can stand guard. If you don't want to pull the trigger, you can just stand guard. You can uh, sit back at base, um, prepare dinner. Right? They, they, they gave them options. They, they even told them, if you don't like what's going on here, you can just go home. Even the officers, a lot of them didn't want to, but when when you when you genuinely think a single group of people is the sole cause of everything wrong in society, right? I'm speaking, of course, of, of Nazis thinking Jews were the end-all, be-all of, of evil and oppression and, and, and 
you genuinely believe that, there's going to be a few of you who are willing to, who, who are eager to pull the trigger. Scary thought. That's how powerful, uh, that's how powerful it is to, you know, to use, to use things like propaganda. You know, if used rightly, and I mean, if you want a case study on how to propagandize and brainwash people, you know, look no further than Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union. I mean, both of them, did, they, they did what they meant to do, um, very efficiently as well. But the, these officers, they would have a choice not to. They'd have a choice not to to participate in any way. Um, so inevitably, some of them would, and and they, they would, in the beginning stages, they would uh, they'd bring out like doctors and physicians. They'd have the soldiers uh, attach bayonets to to the rifles. And showed them if you place your bayonet point right here, when you shoot, you will immediately sever the spine and kill the Jew. Um, so, so right there, you, you can tell that even the there there was still a glimpse of humanity in some of them. So, the deed happens. Um, they they shoot. There are 500, 500 Jews for the month. You know, and this this would last all month. Um, you know, at first they would be selective. Uh, they'd find homeless Jews. They'd find uh, you know Jews that weren't necessarily useful, right? Lots of Jews were craftsmen. Um, so in the beginning stages, if you took out all the craftsmen in a town, then the town wouldn't be able to function. So the Jew, so the Jews who were still left had to, I mean, they, they had to, they had to prove that they were useful, which made a lot of them uh, join part in the war effort, which is I mean, talk about a sick idea. Uh, so after the deed's done, the, the soldiers... Um, there, there was one account in the book that said that... Um, that, like, basically... You could tell who actually pulled the trigger. They, they would come in, and some of them would either be bombastic... Excited, telling telling stories, and animating, and being real boisterous about it. Um, and he even said some, and you could tell who was genuinely uh, happy about what they did, and who just joined along so that they wouldn't be seen as weak. Um, and then you saw other other ones. A lot of these are people who, uh, realistically, a lot of, you would see a lot of the, what we would consider, like, a lot of the, the nicer people in society, right? The, the non-confrontational people, 
would be the ones to pull the trigger. Uh, because if you were around your commanding officer and he volunteered you, the likelihood of you saying no was very, was very small. There's, there's never, from what the, from what the author said, there is never a direct threat of, we'll do this to them, so we'll do this to you. So they never, never even presented it that way. It was always, you don't have to do this. But if you were voluntold, you know, um, and you didn't push back uh, effectively enough, you would have pulled the trigger. And, and when you do something like that, topic to <laughs> to speak about um, without any context at all um, <laughs> so that was fun um, now what was I going to say where was I Fuck. <laughs> yeah so uh, you, you'd be able to see who you know, the, the people who are broken uh, by taking the shots. Um, even if it was just one, I mean, it's to, if, if, you're, if your expectations are to just keep order in a newly occupied land um, and, and you get stuff like this, that's... Uh, It, it, it'll break your fabric of, of, of reality, really. Um, but the, the author's uh, accounts that when some of these people would come back, they would look at those who, who didn't do it with disdain and just, you know, just horrified that they were there, that they were willing to leave everyone else behind uh, to do this for them, right? They blamed them, you know? So now you got, now you got social pressure to do it. Like, well, I did it. You have to do it next time. I mean, it, and, and it just, that book is intense. It's, it's intense on, on so many levels. You know, that whole, that whole, that whole tangent, um, came along from the idea that, uh, that it's, it's easier to conceptualize evil, Because right? we, we can think about the bad, the worst things possible <laughs> all day long. Um, it's, it's very easy. Right? We can sit here and just come up with worst case scenarios all day long, over and over again. But if there is order and chaos and good and evil, uh, some may say the knowledge of good and evil, um, that's an interesting topic. I, I can't do that right now, though. Um, right, so if, there, if there's true evil, and like, if that's not true evil, then 
we we must have witnessed something damn close. Um, then, then by default there should be a true good. But to know what true good is, you need to you need to understand what good is, right? What is good? Um, and that's. That's something that philosophers and and theologians can have been trying to contemplate for since forever. What is the true good? Going back to the Mesopotamians, uh, there eventually there was a god that came up, um, and 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 it's important to understand how how gods are created. Um, how it would happen is you would have, well, let's say you have tribe A and you have tribe tribe B. Tribe A believes this one thing and tribe A believes, or tribe A believes this one thing and tribe B believes this other thing. And well, you got two options really. You can you can say my idea is better than your idea, my God's better than your idea, or your God. Um, and then you, you you beat it out of each other. Last God standing is is the better God. Or you could say, well, my, uh, you know, my God is, is a true God, and I guess your God's not so bad, so, so maybe we can cooperate, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll play the game, we'll hang out, we'll, we'll trade, we'll talk to each other, we'll even mix, and, and generations of that, maybe you extract God C out of God A and B. So these two tribes had an idea of what is the highest good, right? Maybe it's maybe it's being peaceful. Maybe it's uh, maybe the highest good is being powerful, right? Because if you have the power, then you can make sure everyone else is good. That's not an unreasonable thought. We have all these all these higher ideals. And as time goes on, um, the ideals tend to mix. And what the Mesopotamians discovered uh, is that, or what, what they, their final god, the one who would uh, fight Tiamat, the, the dragon of chaos, who, who dwelled deep underneath the ocean, They had all their gods, and, and they decided to join all of their gods and create one, one, one super god, I guess you could say, um, by the name of Marduk. Now, Marduk, his his whole thing is that he had a crown with eyes all along his crown. Um, And he could speak magic. So therefore, he had magic words. Um, and to, to someone who isn't trying to really understand what that means, because you, know, you gotta remember these, these people didn't these people didn't have things such as have things such as psychology, they didn't have things such as, as science, rationality, 
existentialism. Like they didn't have, they didn't get these concepts. To to a certain extent, they got them, but they didn't. They weren't able to express them how we do today. They still had these concepts, which is why a lot of these ancient traditional stories are so profound and full of wisdom. Um, so, so we got so we got Marduk, who has a crown with eyes all around it. Um, and when you look in an evolutionary point, we humans have the best eyesight short of uh, raptors or birds of prey. Now we developed these eyesights mostly to uh, we developed this eyesight mostly to identify snakes. You see that chimpanzees and other primates who live in areas that have a higher snake population have better eyesight. So, thinking about it, however many hundred thousand years ago, hundreds of thousands of years ago, um, we had to the primates who could who could identify a snake lasted longer, right? So, and it takes a lot of brain power. Uh, that's why our heads grew because it takes a lot of brain power to see what we see and the amount of detail that we do. So we see the snakes, and uh, what that does is—I mean, that's that's a again that later, I guess. Um, but Marduk has a crown full of eyes, so he sees all around him. He's very perceptive. So that would suggest that. Let's <laughs> slow down here. That would suggest that. Um, that there was this idea of if you can see everything, right? If you if you could perceive, and then be charismatic enough to speak order into chaos, to use words of magic, words of magic. Um, then. then that would be the highest ideal for the people of Mesopotamia. Um, pause for a second. <laughs> <laughs> 